0: conflict resolution it's something that I think we all need over the course of our lifetime we're dealing with conflict on a regular basis as we grow up to deal with jobs family members friends colleagues at some point there'll be tension it's how we deal with that tension my guest today is Natalie Garamone. And Natalie, this is what she does for a living, to help corporations, families, just variety of people deal with conflict and then provide mediation with that. It's a fascinating topic of discussion because I think conflict is so universal to everyone. So it's something that I think my audience is really going to enjoy. So I encourage you to listen with an open mind and check out the conversation that I had with Natalie Garamone. Awesome. Fantastic. So how is your day going?
1: It's going all right. It's going pretty well. It's been a pretty chill day so far. So how about you?
0: Uh, It's pretty good. Uh, It's pretty busy. Um, I feel I'm always busy in the morning, but then like it kind of levels out the rest of the day generally nice. speaking then a little busy later but uh, it's good well thank you for being on my podcast I really appreciate it
1: good me too I'm excited to be here
0: well I saw you on I think that site spot, I guess it's been a little while mm-hmm. and uh, it was I think it was the whole conflict resolution deal thing that it caught me I get a sense about people when I scroll over their stuff. <laughs> And so I was like, what is this all about, this conflict resolution at work? I mean, it sounds like something, but like, what's the nuts and bolts of it, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's me. Um, So I do conflict resolution and mediation. That is the area of work that I practice in, which kind of scares some people off sometimes when they hear it. Um, Because, you know, the first thing that most people think about when they hear the word conflict is kind of a negative association or a negative personal or professional experience they have had um, but a lot of the work that I do my 12 year old stepdaughter sums up as helping people talk to each other so that is mm-hmm. that is the nuts and bolts it comes down to communication um, a lot of the time but there's a lot that goes into that too a lot of nuance
0: how did you get into this work
1: So for the past decade or so, I have um, been in the organizational development, learning and development, change management, culture, strategy, whatever you want to call it, kind of field, but mostly related to how organizations, uh, the people in organizations work, change, perform, and develop. And what I ended up kind of... Finding was that or what people shared with me was that I'm very comfortable in um, the middle. I am good in tough situations, kind of difficult situations, and so I started to explore this idea of um, of workplace conflict resolution and mediation and. You know, the other thing that I'll add is, you know, in a lot of the organizational change, change management strategy work that I was doing, a lot of my work was going into organizations around the globe and talking to frontline employees about big initiatives that their leadership wanted to enact um, or initiate inside the organization. And honestly, what happened in most of those sessions was people would just, you know, view me as a sounding board someone they could vent to someone they could share um, their grievances with about things that they may have in some cases were holding on to for you know several years maybe since you know the last reorganization of the company and the things that they felt you know didn't really feel ever got resolved so every time that would happen i'd kind of bookmark it in my mind and say all right i think there's kind of something here and um, and that's sort of how I ended up getting into it. I started shopping around that idea saying, I think there's a need for this in the marketplace. I know some companies are out there doing it, um, but what would it look like if I did it? Um, and even, you know, starting to see if that's something I would actually enjoy. And it turns out I really do enjoy it. And I feel like I've found my passion in the work that I'm doing now.
0: So what is it about you and your personality that makes you feel comfortable in the middle
1: that's a good question um have
0: come off it's getting serious
1: yeah um <laughs> so all right so on a personal level um i come from a um a i'm a child of divorced parents separated at a really young age mm-hmm. um i think that puts any kid who goes through that in a in a different situation right out of the gate right so you learn how to kind of deal, communicate, split your time, split your mind in, um, in a way that kind of benefits you, certainly your siblings, if you have them and, and your parents and your family. And so I think I have always, from as long as I can remember, kind of had that, that mindset of, um, or kind of behaviors of like peacemaker, if you will, kind of like, all right, what, what do I need to do to kind of like keep the peace? Um, when I was in middle school, I joined the peer um, the peer mediators group. So there was kind of like a middle school kind of, you know we didn't really do much, and I can't even remember how long I actually did it for. Yeah. But it was a kind of you know, a pilot program at my middle school where students would serve as kind of mini mediators for other students who were you know who maybe got in a fight or were having an issue in the classroom or something like that. I don't know how equipped, well-equipped we were to actually be doing right. anything, but there was always an advisor there with us. Um, but just the notion that I was kind of, you know, have, have intuitively been drawn to that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, I, what people have told me, a couple clients recently have shared with me that they feel like they can be themselves with me. I don't know exactly what it is about me. I like to think I have kind of a a warm and inviting personality. I hope that's the case. But um, yeah. and and yeah, people often tell me they feel like they can kind of open up to me. So um, so, hopefully that that plays a role in it.
0: So, I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, do you feel that and you thought that there was a market for this because it's fairly common
1: mm-hmm. that there
0: is a lot of conflict or um, tension in corporations, workplaces, whatever it may be.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think for sure. And one of the things that I say in a lot of the, you know, workshops and stuff that I do is, you know, we have kind of as a society, especially in the United States, been conditioned to, I'm going to say, like, be polite at work um, for, for a long time. That's actually it's changing now. It's actually polite been
0: at work. Like, what's playing that?
1: Like, you know, when you when you walk into work, you are there's there's and I'm sure you are an exception, but there is work Darien, right? And then there is, you go home, you kick off your shoes and like, okay, this is this is personal Darien. Now, that's not the case for everyone, but a lot of people feel like they can't bring their full authentic selves to work. And, and, I, and I realize that that is much more of a conversation in certainly in the organizational development landscape, the kind of culture landscape as it relates to companies that those conversations are happening more than they ever have, even in the past like 10 years, which is really amazing. And it shines a light on all different types of kind of challenges and issues that workplaces face, like people not feeling comfortable enough to kind of raise their hand when there's an issue. Um, but, But I think kind of going back to my comment about being polite, I think part of it is, you know, you have or historically, we have had such Or have been encouraged to have such a clear delineation between like being professional and being ourselves. And there's inherent tension there. So if you feel like you're showing up to work as a sort of, it's you, but it's sort of a different version of you, maybe you're adapting the way that you communicate, or maybe you're, there's two couple people on your team that you feel like, I really have to like, think about how I write my emails to them or like change how I show up in meetings with them because they (laughs) posture a certain way or whatever. Like, you know, you're kind of laughing because we all have those people, even not in work in our lives too, that we kind of like adjust a little bit, which is, um, which, but, which is one part of it, and the other part is um, just I think on the whole, organizations don't do a good job of encouraging what I call like the healthy conflict for people. So people don't know how to have those conversations. So you default to passive aggressiveness, you default yeah. to um, short emails, you default to leaving people out of conversations or not including them on the meeting invite, and that all <laughs> snowballs into like resentment, um, challenges, right? Like the uh. you know. It's little stuff like that. Everyone can, and every time I give an example like that, people laugh and they're like, "Holy crap! I, I, I li- that's my everyday. Like, that's
0: what I go through." Really? Yeah. Wow, that's tr- yes. You know, it's funny. I, I think I was more, I was drawn to you because I, I, that was something that we worked on. Like when I used to run a very high-end luxury gym for over a decade, and mm-hmm. we had great staffing. But one of the things is I wanted people to be themselves. Mm-hmm. And like, I was laughing when you said you're laughing. I was like, I never wanted people to be like work, the work version of themselves versus right. I said, just be yourself. You're good enough who you are because you're human. You're bringing your humanity to work. It's just, it's impossible not to. Well, you I never said, understood this whole thing. People were like, leave it, but leave it at home. You're at right. work. You know what yeah. I mean? It's weird yeah. to me.
1: Well, you, sir, are an exception to the rule then, because that is, I mean, it is a real struggle for a lot of, I'm going to say leaders in organizations because it requires, it requires vulnerability. And I will say a high degree of self-awareness and understanding of oneself to be like, this is who I am and I'm going to unapologetically be me. So you might as well, might as well unapologetically be you. Right. Yeah. But
0: why are leaders put in position who don't know who they are?
1: Oh man, that's an awesome kind of, philosophical question I That's mean right. does anyone ever really know who they are I don't know I'm like I, I don't know I, do you know who you are I do I know who I am more now than I think I ever have I feel really comfortable with who I am and where I am now and I think in large part it it is a result of um and I say this in the most like intentional of ways like i kind of stopped caring i kind of was like okay so this is this is what feels right to me this is how it feels right for me to show up here's the way that i communicate that feels right and authentic to who i am and i kind of and i was like and i guess if people don't like it then like they won't be my clients or they won't invite me on their podcast or you know whatever like all these notions of kind of of um of recognition and uh um kind of positive affirmation from others like they're important to a certain extent and that's how we're kind of wired as human beings is to seek that and want that um but there's also for me a healthy level of detachment from um allowing that to drive what I do and and who I am so 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 I think there's a lot that I've gone through in a lot of practice and learning that I've put in to get to that point about myself. And I don't know that everyone, especially in let's say corporate America, who's kind of climbing that ladder and hustling has the time, they may not be fortunate enough to have the time to do a nine month, uh, 200 hour yoga program, or a four month mindfulness based stress reduction program, where you're just sitting and meditating and kind of learning mindfulness techniques, right? They're, they're grinding every day. And, and there are not many, or there haven't historically been many organizations that are like, no, 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 take a 20 minute break and go to the, you know, yoga den to kind of clear your mind and figure out who you are as a leader and kind of reground yourself. That's happening more now, but they just, I, I don't think people have been given the permission or time historically. So that contributes to it for sure.
0: I mean, there's lots of deep things I'm thinking about on this. I and mean, that was the thing when I was you know, my own company now when I was working for a large company was I wanted to explore the larger elements of who we are as human beings mm-hmm. and to be a leader that was vulnerable and humble and understood, hey, listen, I'm, uh, you know, I need you to see me for who I am and I need to see you for who you are when my work. We all need to be ourselves. Right. That's why it touched me when I was here and I was like, oh my gosh, that was, was like my whole thing when I was so, doing uh, so- that.
1: Can I ask you a question? Yeah,
0: any, yes, of course. Mm
1: -hmm. So how do you, you can say that to people, right? You can say, I want you to show up and be yourself. Yes. How do they know that it's actually okay? Like, how do you, you know, beyond just modeling you being you, like, what did you look for? How did you know if people weren't kind of showing up as themselves?
0: Totally good question. Um, So one, I used to do these things called like, little kick it meetings. That's why I used to call them like kick it. That's so cool. we were like, that. yeah, they just, you know, they're like five minute meetings. And it wasn't like I was always like scheduling them so much make it formal. It's just like, I think as a leader of an organization, you have to just kind of walk around. You got to, you know, you see people when they're like eating lunch or they're just kind mm-hmm. of doing something. Uh, and you say, hey, you know, just, just chat with them and start to find out you're kind of doing reconnaissance on who they are, learning about their life, how they grew up, this whole thing, what they like to do for fun. And then I would start matching that with how they were acting when mm. they were doing their job. Mm-hmm. I will say, is this, is this showtime, Bob, or is this like you know, at home? And I would match it and I would say, hey, listen, you're telling me all these things that you're a bubbly person and you love this and that, but then you're very cold out on the floor when you're training people. Yeah. What's what's going on with those two things? Uh, yeah. That's not these two people need to be the same. Yeah. I mean, you see me out somewhere. You should expect to meet Darian, not this mm-hmm. altered version of myself. Like, oh, I'm a, I'm a grocery shopping now. I do weird things. And, you know, <laughs> like this is, you grocery- know, this is grocery shopping, Darian. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. so I'd have those kick it meetings all the time with the staff mm-hmm. that I was checking with them to make sure I was getting the most authentic version of them, or when they were going through conflict, you know, personal stuff, I yeah. would say, come to me for that. Talk to me. If you're going through, your parents died or something, or you break up, you can talk to me about, it. I'll just listen. I'll be there for you. You can be vulnerable with me. I would tell them that. And yeah. that led to a lot of people crying in my office, a lot of hugs and stuff. And, and I felt like doing that created that sense of authenticity, like, wow, this person really cares about me. I bet- but I also felt that I, I was very alone in that approach. Mm. I felt that in a large, large company I was with, that I was basically the only one doing that. So, you know.
1: Yeah, I bet. And it, you and you were probably kind of ahead of the curve too. I mean, that is becoming a lot more, um, like it's, it's being baked into a lot of the companies that I work with. I'm seeing it intentionally baked into kind of performance um, metrics for people managers and for leaders. Um,
0: Why now, though? Why do you think it's happening now?
1: I think we're having a lot more honest conversations around diversity, inclusion um, in the workplace. I think people care more about culture. I mean, culture is like a big buzz now. You know, it's not just about profit. It's about people, too. It, you know, theoretically has always been. But I think (laughs) um, part of what is fundamentally shifting the way that organizations function is there's a new generation of an entirely new generation of people in the workforce and guess what they don't give a shit about profit. Sorry, I don't know if right. I Right. No, you more.
0: can curse as much I mean, as you want. Doesn't they, matter.
1: I mean they do but they care about purpose as well. And so I think to be purposeful in your work like you have found your purpose in in what you're doing and really yeah. are filled by that to a certain extent but in order to get there you have to kind of be doing kind of cultivating that awareness of yourself that you and I have been talking about. So,
0: um,
1: so I think there's this kind of, you know, people who are higher up in organizations, leaders in organizations who have maybe been used to the way of doing things, but are now watching this shift happen are like, uh Oh, okay. Well, we, we kind of, if we want to attract new talent, if we want to retain the talent we do have, we kind of got to switch the switch up the way we're doing things, um, and it's caused them, at least in my observation, to really pay not just pay attention to, but really start to to adjust some of the old ways of doing things, particularly with a focus on the people part of it.
0: You know, what's interesting, I feel like I observed over time that um, I think profit is still important to people but i think it's less important and i think we're, we're finding out sometimes we find out the metrics behind stuff the science behind things and there's some really damning evidence out there about focusing on su- uh, crazy amounts of profit yeah that when you know that you know i think there was a research study or or thing that came out was like basically if you make you're no happier making more than $120,000 than you would if you made millions of dollars. Like yeah. people are starting to be like, well, what's the point?
1: Right.
0: I'm killing myself to make try to become super wealthy. Yeah. And, and the reality of it is, you know, I, I worked in an environment where there, it was all super wealthy people. I mean, super amounts of millionaires, half a billionaires, all this stuff. I didn't find that they were any happier than I was. Or, or like that their life was so much better than mine. I still could go on vacation. I could do fun yeah. things. We could all do very similar things. Right. And so I think in the workforce is changing also because I think different generations, they're just willing to quit if they're not happy in their jobs. This is
1: true. You're right. Right? Yeah.
0: They're yep. just willing to quit. And I think they're not like, like my parents' generation or grandparents who was like, I'm going to stick out this horrible, horrendously bullshit job for 30 years to get something out of it you know people today are like forget that i'm not doing that you know
1: i think you're absolutely right and i think part of that in order to make a decision like that you have to be pretty clear on what matters to you right so i think that is um i think that's another big differentiator between like you know our parents generation and even you know people who, who certainly are are younger than me entering the workforce who are like I have my priorities straight. Here's what I care about. I care about X, Y, and Z. And I hope to find that here. But if I don't, like, I'm going to look for it somewhere else, or I'm going to create it on my own. Exactly. And, and I think there's also this kind of, uh, an, you know, an entrepreneurial spirit and kind of, you know, this, a, a go getter spirit. I see it with my stepkids. I, you know, and and they're even younger than, than some of the people um, at my clients sites who I've who I've seen, but it's really been fascinating to watch over the past even decade. And um, it'll be interesting to see where it goes.
0: I'm very interested by it. I think that people who don't adapt, they're going to fall behind, you know, and companies who aren't willing to, you know, we would try to work ourselves to death in this culture. It's really insane to like, amount of work people are trying to do it's a very unhealthy Mm -hmm. it's just like i used to always i don't know if you dealt with this in your conflict resolution you know with people who this this um kind of like we worship people who who work hundred hour weeks you Mm know oh this guy never sleeps oh i sleep when i die that's so stupid yeah that's one of the dumbest things i've ever heard a successful person say Now that we know all this information about how incredibly important sleep is and health and nutrition and and fitness, you're modeling poor behaviors to people. So I I just think the way the workforce has changed, you have to adapt to the people want to be healthier than ever. They don't want to deal with somebody telling them, oh, if you're not, you're just in here wasting time just to say you worked a certain amount of hours, you know? Right,
1: right one of um, one of the clients I work for is a marketing agency um, marketing and advertising agency on the East Coast and they their chief culture officer says her kind of term is contribution over clock she's like I care about oh. what you're contributing to the company I don't care how many hours you're sitting at your desk
0: yeah. um,
1: and I think that it is it's a different mentality it's easy to say it's harder to do because you are what you're challenging people to do is kind of rewire their brain to kind of uh focus on value and being present in the work that they're doing in that moment and kind of yeah. give them and adding value in a, in a different way that doesn't have to do with adding up to a certain number of hours yeah um i recently uh started stopped i should say scheduling meetings on Mondays and Fridays. Mm -hmm. I still work on Mondays and Fridays, but I have refocused that time to kind of be focused on content development, kind of, you know, updating my, you know, speeches and that sort of stuff. And and generally just kind of going heads down on on client work. But that gives me really like a very concentrated three-day work week. And honestly, best decision I've made in the past 12 months. And it was tough at first but it really is um it i think is to your point that it just you have to kind of reprioritize and shift and see where you want to be spending your time and it doesn't necessarily look like a hundred hour work week all the time.
0: I think we get this thing like people kind of look at people who don't work a lot and they go, oh, they must be lazy. Right. Like, what does it have to do with that? Like, right. <laughs> can't it be about efficiency? And <laughs> right. I remember many jobs many, many years ago where like, you know, you're just like, you get stuff done and you're just sitting there wasting time. Yeah. You're like, well, you're supposed to get off at four. Why? Like, I just want to list two. I don't have nothing else to do. You know, it's like like we get penalized for enjoying our life and doing other things. And I am so glad that's changing. Yeah, I'm so glad. You know, you want to watch Netflix on a Wednesday all day? Go for
1: it. (laughs) it. You got
0: your work done. What is what's the big deal? Right. You know,
1: it's true. It
0: is. true. So what was your tell me about the first time that you did this job, like the first conflict resolution deal you did what were your thoughts feelings before you get into it like what were you thinking that day like you knew we were going to do it for the first time like what was the thoughts
1: so so a couple things I think before I officially started my company 180 I I was doing this work but I didn't know I was doing this work if that makes sense so I so it's hard I, I wish I could I wish I could remember like the first time that it clicked for me and I, and I kind of zoomed out of myself and was like, Oh, this is mediation. This is kind of helping people, you know, manage conflict. Um, I think I did it a lot naturally in my leadership role. Um, at in my former life with the consulting work that I was doing in both for the company that I worked for just being kind of as part of being a leader, but also for the clients that I was working with. Um, and I often describe a lot of the work that I that I did in the change management space as kind of bridging the gap between leadership and frontline employees, which in a, in a way is sort of kind of that mediation conflict resolution. But when I decided to formalize it and officially pursue my mediation certification, which I, I don't know how familiar you are with mediation yeah. in Virginia, but in the state of Virginia, which is where I'm located um, currently, the you can become certified at the Supreme Court of Virginia level as a mediator, which is a fancy way of saying you can take on court referred cases at the Supreme mm. Court level. Um, you can work and in order to do that, you have to choose a path. You have to choose juvenile domestic relations, which is like divorce, um, separation, child custody, that Ooh, sort of stuff. Sounds messy. It, yeah, it, it can, it is. And, um, or you can choose, um, general district, which is like, you hit my car. The judge wants us to settle it out of court. So when I decided to officially kind of pursue this conflict resolution and mediation path. I knew that I was going to blend my organizational development background into the work that I was doing. But it was also important to me that I understood and was versed and kind of expert in the mediation skills as they're deemed necessary by the state of Virginia. So not everyone, not ever, you don't have to do that. It's just kind of who I am. And I really felt like that was important for me if I was going to be going out there and practicing um, what I was referring to as mediation so in the trainings and in the observations and um co-mediations that you do you are in some cases sitting down with a husband and wife who are going through a separation and, they, and they're sitting in front of you and saying we need to figure out who's gonna spend time with our kids and when and like we don't know where to start and Probably two, probably a year and a half, almost two years ago, was when I sat in on my first mediation, um, juvenile domestic relations mediation. And it was really, I mean, it was really intense. And I think yeah. that, but, and it, and I was just observing. So I wasn't even the person mediating that because I wasn't allowed to at that point. Um, on the family level. And so uh, that was the first time I think it hit me that, wow, this is really difficult. The dad almost walked out of the room. And if that happens, like you can't, it, it both parties have to be willing to participate, which is a, a um, philosophy I carry through to my workplace mediation, because if one person's willing and the other person is, it's it's just not, isn't, it's just not going to right anywhere. It's not going to be as productive as you'd want it to be. Um, it ended up being a really successful mediation and they got to a place where they both felt good about where they landed. And I think for me, that was one of the first times that I was like, wow, this is really meaningful stuff. And, you know, maybe I do this for families, but I know I can certainly do this in workplaces and have it be equally as impactful for people who are going through difficult situations at work. Um... So that was kind of, that That I would say was like the first.
0: Yeah. What's the intensity like? I mean, you mentioned the intensity, like those moments I would imagine, and especially like maybe like custody, mediation and all that stuff. There's gotta be a high level of emotion, like really almost exhausting, you know?
1: Yeah, um, there is, and I do, I've had, um, I do, so in the, the work that I do, certainly in the family stuff, there's a lot of emotion, um, in, even in the business partner mediations that I do. So in some cases I work with, have clients who have two or more business partners who maybe aren't eye to eye, maybe they started off and they were all super on the same page and the business has grown, which is awesome, but their roles have morphed and shifted to the point where they're stepping on each other's toes or Somebody's not as invested with time and energy as the others are, and so it gets to this kind of messy place where they're just misfiring, and um, emotions are high in those situations too. Because, you know, I think and business business partner mediation is a great example of this too, where it's really messy. Is that this is a it's a work relationship. But if you're a business partner with someone, likely you have an operating agreement, which is pretty much a marriage contract at the end of the day, right? So it really is like the most intimate of business relationships because you're so your financial well-being is intermingled in the business and and you and maybe your family are dependent on, you know, other people's work ethic and ability to bring in work or whatever the case may be. Um, And so emotions get high and in and emotions are really high and elevated in those situations. And some of my business partner mediation clients have said to me, do you just go home and sleep or like cry after these <laughs> sessions? <laughs> Which is funny. I don't. Um, I think I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I, there are days when I'm more tired than others. And I think certainly, you know, certain situations can be more draining than others, but, I think the people that go into this type of work, who I know, who I've observed, and from what I know about myself, um, there is, you know, there's kind of a grounding energy that kind of rises above that emotion. And that's, I think, why people like me do the work that we do, because we may, there's something a little bit different about us, where we're a little bit more comfortable in those situations and able to kind of Not just hold it down on our own, but allow other people to feel like they can kind of work through those emotions and then come back down to a more comfortable place.
0: Do you think it's just naturally your thing, or are there any practices you do to keep yourself sane while you're doing this? Yeah,
1: that's a good question. Someone asked me that before. I in the past uh like 12 months I have been doing boxing, which is just like boxing. a complete yes, which is not it's not to say like I have a ton of rage I need to get out. <laughs> Someone asked You're just me losing my, it. Yeah. No, I'm not an angry person at all. I'm very like I am for the most part pretty chill. Um no, it's just I mean, things like I you know, working out is a great, um Anything that kind of helps me burn off energy and clear my own mind, because if I have lots of stuff going on in there, it's harder for me to be present with people. Um, The biggest thing I do, and honestly, this is what people tell me sometimes at the end of a session, they'll say, I feel like you didn't say anything, and I just talked the whole time. And so listening, like just practicing my truly like active listening skills, which I know is like communication 101. But it's really difficult to do. And especially when you have two or three people in a room who all have something equally valuable to say, to be able to listen, not just for the words that they're saying, but for what they're actually saying, if you, if that makes sense. Um,
0: yeah.
1: And, and that is, you know, it's a tool that I teach in my conflict um, workshops, which is the onion tool and mediation. We call it the onion tool because there are different layers to a conversation, right? You can tell me, you know, you can have your your um, position on something, which is what you're saying that you want. But underneath that layer is what you're actually interested in, which is what you're motivated by, or, you know, what you're actually trying to get out of a situation. And then even below that layer is the need that you need to have satisfied, like kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like, you're not what you're saying you want may not be at all what you actually want. And so as a mediator, as someone kind of Brought in the room to help manage that conflict or tension, you have to be really, really excellent at listening for all the layers of everyone's words and body language and, you know, tone and all of that. And so I don't, um, I am, I, I try in order to do that, you just have to kind of make sure your own mind is clear. And also check yourself before you get into a room to make sure you're not bringing any of your crap in there that's going yes. like, to project, you know, into what they're saying. So I think that's kind of that's it's what I try to do.
0: And then you go boxing and you imagine their face is right there. <laughs> and you...
1: It is such a I good guess. workout.
0: It, it is, is a good workout so for sure. So
1: intense, uh, yeah. And they and they blast the music really loud. So like yeah. you. Can can't think it's just a total mind clearing and it's fun.
0: exactly that's a huge benefit of exercise i always say to people is it's a for it's a it's a forgetting machine in yes. a sense. It, it literally like your brain is always processing all this information on a regular basis all this data is coming in tremendous amounts yeah. then you're reflecting upon it when you exercise especially very hard exercise it's like it doesn't exist yes. you get a break from it Yeah, totally. And so I think it's a wonderful uh, thing about it. So, I mean, you could you could tell me the truth if you're if you're really thinking about hitting these people. It's fine. (laughs) No,
1: No. I didn't think
0: so. But, you know, you could tell the truth.
1: No, I have been trying to play um, get good at tennis, too. I've been trying to practice really just, you know, a different trying to engage my brain in a different way. Yana. Tennis
0: is awesome. I've uh, played it many times, and I've hired a lot of tennis pros throughout the years. It's actually a hard game to get good at. You gotta really play a lot. Um, but I digress here. Um, the boxing thing threw me for a second. Honestly, <laughs> oh,
1: sorry. I know. I don't know if
0: I believe you, but
1: uh, <laughs> 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 Title Boxing Club, Richmond. I'm sure there's love it.
0: The shout out. Boom. <laughs> so, in frontline employees versus you know, like corporate leadership. I wanna look at it both ways. So the frontline employee, what's usually the most common sticking point they have with let's say the leadership of their organization?
1: I'm gonna lump two together. Okay. Because I think they're, they're interconnected. Um, I would say communication, meaning a decision is made, a change is made, something that affects their jobs, is is happening, but they have some of the details and not all of the details. And the thing that I'm going to link it to is transparency. And we talk about transparency a lot in kind of high-performing teams and successful organizations, but transparency in an organization is a balancing act, right? And not many leaders know what that could and should look like so when you're communicating something potentially sensitive, there's only but so much whether it's about personnel changes or an organizational restructure, or maybe there's going to be layoffs, or maybe someone on your team is leaving. Um even if someone's going out on maternity leave, you know, we have to be mindful of people's privacy. And you also, as a leader, are kind of trying to to walk a little bit of a tightrope and not getting people too nervous about any particular thing, but there's still a great deal of kind of communication that you have to provide in order to have people be informed. And so I think when so much of the work that I do ties back to communication, um, but there's a deeper rooted, I'm, I'm going to say issue or a deeper rooted kind of element of it too that is, in my opinion, and I think there, and there are many other kind of well-known, much much more well-known than me and uh, well-published authors out there who would say trust and respect are at kind of the core of that, um, at the core of that, at the foundation of any, you know, positively functioning leadership, direct report relationship, Leadership frontline employee dynamic. Um, because at the end of the day, I should trust that you are communicating all of the important details to me. And if I don't, then guess what? I'm gonna view you as holding information back. I'm gonna not view leadership as being transparent, I'm gonna think there's more to the story, and so on and so forth. We fill in the story, we create our own stories based on the information we know and our own life experiences, right? Or our experiences with a particular right. individual. And so I, I think, you know, communication and transparency is a big thing when you look at that kind of top-down leadership to, to frontline employees um, relationship. But at the core of that and at the core of all conflicts really is trust and respect.
0: You ever go into any of these and you're like, wow, this is going to be really tough based off of what you hear initially. You're like, man, or do you think, you know, a change needs to happen in the leadership position or whatever position in order for this to get better?
1: Both. Yeah. All the time. Um, and yes. And I, and part of the, you know, part of what I remind people is, this is why i'm here this is why you saw value in bringing me in right because i can come in with an objective enough lens to say i don't have any skin in this game as far as uh, i don't need i'm not going to be um the one who sees kind of the who's tied to the outcome of it but i and and as a result i can give you a really kind of clear-cut view of how i see it um And in some cases that is like, no, this manager is not a great manager. And this is a repeating story with multiple people on their team. Yeah. Um, It's not an isolated incident or something like that. And, and so, yes, I am, I am doing that often. And sometimes um, I typically will know how difficult it's going to be because I don't ever, I rarely ever walk in totally blind to a situation okay that has not really happened um it's part of kind of how i structure my work i'm very intentional to kind of at least understand the dynamic from from each person's perspective it's a if it's a team situation i'm talking to that manager to at least get an idea of very high level kind of what do they want to achieve When we all get in a room and talk to each other. And that's really it. I don't need a ton of the history. I don't need a ton of the details. In fact, I'm better off if I'm not in the weeds on what's been going on, because the more I know, the more it can color my perspective of what is what I'm hearing and seeing in the room. So, but I do like to do a little bit, you know, to borrow your word, reconnaissance beforehand to say, like, what am I walking into? yeah almost kind of you know to our earlier conversation mentally and emotionally prepare myself to be kind of present and and aware of certain things
0: does anybody ever get upset with you during this oh
1: yeah i had oh really oh yeah i had one client um it was a business partner mediation and it the the I'll back up for one second. So much of the work that I do, and this goes to back the very goes back to the very first thing we were talking about. People want it to be clean. They want it to be, this is professional. We're in the boardroom. So yeah. this is a professional conversation. But we're all humans at the end of the day. Like we have emotions and things get messy. And so related to that, I was doing a business partner mediation between three business partners and the um one of them really was fired up and said, This is ridiculous. You're making us dig too much into emotions. Like this is too much feeling. And this, <laughs> is, not this is not what we're here for. And I was like, okay. What's up, you know, what's upsetting you about that? Or what what, you know, trying to basically understand what was so upsetting and um and allowing him to kind of get fired up and then you know there as a mediator you have to let people work through the emotions before they can kind of get back to that place where they're like okay sorry like i i, I needed to step out for a minute or i needed to get that out of my system But yeah, people get upset with me and and not and I'm not everyone's cup of tea either. Sometimes my you know, I let people know my communication approach is very direct when I do see a situation or something that is not kind of clicking or making sense. I do um, point it out in a pretty direct way. Um, So, you know, and that happens more in one on one sessions with people and kind of conflict coaching sessions with people. Um, but everyone, yeah, everyone responds in their own way and you kind of have to give them space to work through that. And, and I try to do my best. In people situations.
0: are funny, aren't they? They are People are, are very funny. different. You know, yeah. it's like, I mean, I think, man, I've been alive for 41 years and I'm, I feel like I'm still surprised at stuff. Yeah. I'm like, really? <laughs> like with this yeah, and that. That's fascinating. Yeah. You think when people get older, you think, you know, people get. Uh, they get more wisdom or that they, you know, maybe they slow down and their anger and sometimes not, that's not the case with people, you know, I like to believe that people become much smarter and they learn from their lessons. And there's some people who just don't do that.
1: This is true. Just this keep being
0: true. angry and stuff. And, you know,
1: and one of my, um, you know, one of my mantras in the work that I do, and I think kind of going back to the question you asked me earlier, just, you know, kind of to. You know, do you ever kind of take this, take it with you or kind of feel mm-hmm. like, you know, tired or anything? I think part of the reason I'm able to decompress a little bit more quickly or detach, if you will, is because at the end of the day, there's only but so much that we uh, as an individual can control. And so I have to consistently remind myself about, you know, what is it that I can actually do something about? um and and what is out of my realm of control and the things that are out of my realm of control like whether or not someone is going to change or how well they handle their own emotions in a meeting there's not much i can do about it um but i can focus on my own reactions and how i how i show up and that's a lot of a lot of the work that i do too is kind of helping people um increase that self-awareness and um, how they're showing up, if you will, um, in conflict situations.
0: Isn't that basically in like life, it's how you show up in situations, yep. how you handle yourself. Mm-hmm. Are you actually present? Yep. It's a great way of looking at things, you know, yep. how, how are you showing up? Yeah. You know, are you showing up and you're happy, you know, are you dealing with things appropriately? Right. You know, I just, I think it goes back to kind of us wrapping it up is, are you yourself? Yes. Are you being you? You know, mm-hmm. and are you authentically yourself in the majority of the situations that you're going through in your life? And I think people people like predictable behavior. They like to know that you are a similar person wherever you go and that you're not, you know. That's why I was watching this one. Um, uh, I love stand-up comedy. It was Jim Gaffigan. It was hilarious. And he yes. was like, well, these, he was with, he says, oh, with these friends, I'm this way, he said, but I told him, I don't want him to meet my other friends, because I'm very different with these other friends, you know, (laughs) like these people don't know that I do this stuff, you know, with other people. (laughs) And it's just kind of like, totally this It's like, okay, if you have to be so different with one set of people, and then different with the other, that seems like a big problem.
1: Right. (laughs) Well, and it's exactly, I mean, it's kind of exactly why I have a job, right? Like why I'm in yeah. the work that I do because it does to your point, it creates this like inherent tension in a person which has a ripple effect, right? Then yeah. then you're you're kind of offloading that tension on other people or you you have the it, it's possible that you might be offloading that tension on other people. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing.
0: Well, it's like if you somebody you know, you ask somebody, well, what's the biggest misperception people have about you? And mm-hmm. then they say, well, a lot of people think I'm a jerk, but I'm not. I'm like, mm, you're probably a jerk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> how many people said that? I mean, right. if a
0: bunch of people told you that, like, how many people said that? <laughs> uh, all the time. People tell me it all the time. I'm like, did <laughs> you probably a jerk? I mean, it just, it just you got to look at yourself. I <laughs> mean, you, know, you think you're great, but a lot of other people think you're you're terrible. Yeah. I'm just saying you might want to look in the mirror a couple of times, you know?
1: It's True. And that, and asking people sometimes what they think about us and how they, how they perceive their interactions with us is one of like, it it is such a um, gold mine of opportunity when it comes to self-awareness, but not many people are brave enough to have those conversations (laughs) and to say, so what do you really think of me? Like, how, how do I really show up in meetings? Like, tell me, Tell me what you think. I think we're getting better at it, but I still think there's a lot of work.
0: I think you're right too. Uh, That brave is interesting word for that. I think there's a lot of bravery and courage because Mm -hmm. that requires vulnerability. They say basically judge me, Mm -hmm. look at me. How do I come across? And my one of uh, one of my good, I know we got to wrap it up here, but one of my really good clients, she's a licensed uh, clinical psychologist. and She says she does this thing which is maybe for everybody listening it might be a good it might be a good thing for you to do anything is ask your friends are you a good friend to them and say do am i a good friend and am i a good friend to you like how is my friendship with you do you think i'm good at being your friend and she's like it paralyzes people it completely destroys them in a sense because people aren't used to asking and answering those type of questions in their life. You know, just people just BS all the time and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, surfacey conversations. Yeah. But if you really ask, how do I show up in in your life on a regular basis? You might get burned, man. <laughs> you, <laughs>
1: might. you might. And, and I love that. I love that question. I love starting with friends because we do, most of us have a different view. We may, we're likely to feel more comfortable asking a friend, even though it's a tough question to ask a friend. Yeah. We still have... Probably an easier time asking our friends a tough question like that than a colleague, for example, and it's why we get fired up at Thanksgiving in a political conversation, you know, our, our we have um, a, we have a safety net with people that we have a familiarity and a closeness with and so we allow our emotions to get a little more worked up in those situations or we allow ourselves to let our guard down a little bit more because we know at the end of the day, like they'll still love us. They're still going to care about us. Hopefully, you know, they'll give me some good information about whether or not I'm a good friend and we can work on it together. Um, but I love, I absolutely love that suggestion and I, and I'm a big believer in kind of just asking.
0: Awesome. Natalie, thank you so much for being on. It's been a real pleasure. You got a real light about you, a good sense of peacefulness Um, about you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. That means yeah. a lot. Thank you.
0: Most well, definitely. And
1: absolutely wonderful. I've really enjoyed um, my conversation with you.
0: Yeah, that's all it is, is a conversation, <laughs> you know, and a bunch of people get to hear it. That's <laughs>
1: <laughs> Have a guys. great
0: day, Natalie. I'll hey, be in touch you with you, okay?
1: Okay, bye-bye.
0: All right, bye.